Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. This morning, we're going to just keep trucking along in this series called Encounter face-to-face with God, and we're going to look at a different aspect of encounter because the last couple weeks, Pastor has been um, dealing with we we encountering God. When we encounter God, there's this preparation. If you want to have an encounter with God, you need to get right with God. You need to go after God. You need to prepare yourselves to be in His presence. Today, I want to talk about when God encounters us because they look completely different. For instance, man, Balaam in the Old Testament had an encounter with God. His donkey kicked him off, and his donkey started talking to him, saying, do not go any further, because there's an angel that will kill you. And, you know, like, it was kind of a violent encounter. Paul on the road to Damascus, he wasn't planning, he wasn't prepared, he wasn't anything. He was just going to persecute the church, and then he encountered, or no, not he, God encountered him, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, gave him purpose, and then today we're going to look at an encounter when God encounters us. Whenever God encounters us, it's always to give us a new direction. It's always to get us to repent. It's always to give us a purpose. So today, we're going to look at John chapter 2 and Matthew 21. And these are two different accounts of Jesus clearing the temple. Cleansing the temple, some translations might say. And I think it's interesting, one happens, right, the one in John that we're going to read first happened right after he launched his public ministry, and the last one in Matthew 21, it happens right before he gets crucified. So let's just look at it real quick, let's dive into it. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers and table uh, dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all. I want to stop right there for a second. This is arguably one of my favorite scriptures describing Jesus. Because it gives us a more well-rounded view of our Savior. So often we think, uh, we, we have these preconceived notions of who Jesus is um, based on paintings based on movies based on everything we have Jesus you know with children around him saying oh just let the children come to me he did do that but that sounds creepy so also you know we see Jesus we see Jesus you know petting a lamb and everything that's also creepy you know we have these we have these weird ideas of who Jesus is but we need to get to the gospels and see who Jesus was Matthew and John are two of my favorite Gospels. My other two favorite are Mark and Luke. And we need to get in them. And we need to discover who Jesus is. Because Jesus, here, we see him. He's watching these people abuse the temple of God. And he's not okay with it. He's not okay to the point where he's sitting there making a whip. Now, we don't know what type of whip it was. He could have been braiding it together as he's watching it. He could have grabbed rope and then tied a knot in it and just went to town. We don't know. But the point is, he made a whip because he wasn't okay with what they were doing. We need to get back to the biblical Jesus. Not people's opinion of who Jesus is. Not, man, I like the baby Jesus the most. Or I like Jesus on the cross the most. 
I like the resurrected Jesus the most. Well, you know what? All those describe the person of Jesus, but right now he is seated at the right hand of God and all authority and all power belong to him. So we need to get back to who Jesus is in the Bible. It says he cleared them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers coins all over the floor. He turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. That's concerning the Messiah. So Jesus is the Messiah. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. What? They exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. You can almost hear the self-righteousness in their response to Jesus. Excuse me? You think you could rebuild this temple in three days? The self-righteousness of the religious leaders. Man, that's another topic. But are we more like Jesus, or are we more like the Pharisees? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. And they believed both scriptures and what he had said. Let's jump into Matthew real quick. This, is, this happened right before Jesus. This happened right before Jesus was crucified. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of the law saw these wonderful signs and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read scriptures? I love Jesus' response to these guys. Like, it's just, yes, I hear it. Have you read the Bible? I mean, like, haven't you ever, I mean, he's talking to the, the priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law. Haven't you ever read scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. So why are we talking about this today? I want us to see some important things of Jesus and, and what he's willing and the extent he's willing to go to work in your life. Because Jesus, he wasn't okay with, with what was going on at the beginning of his ministry. He wasn't okay with sin and injustice in the temple. And he wasn't okay with it at the end of his ministry. And he's still not okay with sin and injustice in the temple. We're going to talk about the temple later. But what was going on that made it so bad? Well, in Jewish law, the law of Moses, people had to pay half a shekel to make a sacrifice. It just kind of covered the cost of the temple. It wasn't to actually make the priest wealthy or anything like that, but there was cost. They, they, it cost time. And, and the Levites, which were the priestly tribe of, of Israel, 
they didn't get land like all the other tribes, like Judah and Benjamin and all that. They actually, their sole job was to serve the other tribes as priests. So the, the people of Israel would come, and they would come to Jerusalem, and then they would pay half a shekel. On, on top of that, there was other benefits that Levites got. They'd get some of the meat and stuff like that that was sacrificed. But also, they, they, were, they always used to sell doves. Even in the Old Testament, they would sell doves and pigeons to people. But it was out of convenience for the people coming to make sacrifices. Because I, I don't know about you, I know I haven't, but I imagine that it was hard to travel with small birds great distances. Now now we could just throw them in the bottom of a plane and just fly places. But back then, they would travel great distances on on, on dirt and, and not paved. It, I mean, wagons and mules and stuff. And it was hard to keep these little animals alive. So they sold them in the temple. They also sold cattle and stuff like that as well. But a lot of times, people would bring their own spotless lambs and cattle. But what was happening in Christ's time the Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire, which encompassed the Mediterranean Sea. And the currency of the time was Roman coinage. So in order for them to make a sacrifice at the temple, they had to exchange their money for a half shekel, which a shekel is a Jewish coin that is demanded by the law. So these people were trying to obey God in the rules that he set out for them in the law of Moses. And what was going on, instead of just giving them a fair exchange rate, I've been to a lot of different countries. The the exchange rate I remember the best was South Africa. And I believe it was 7 to 1 when I went to South Africa. So when I would take $1 into into a money exchanger, uh, they would charge me a slight interest. I ended up getting like like 675 in rand or rand or whatever they called it. And so I almost got the full amount. But what they were doing, let's just say the shekel and the Roman dollar, equaled the same, one for one. What they were doing is saying, oh, you need half a shekel. That will be $10. That's called robbery. Um, God's not okay with that. And then also, they would charge, instead of just a convenience fee, you know, like, hey, we understand you need a dove or a pigeon, they would charge them astronomical amounts of money for these pigeons, and then on top of that, these people would bring their spotless lambs or, or cattle to the temple. And they, they would get them inspected. And then the, the, the Pharisees or, or, or the priests would inspect them like, oh, your, yours is not good. It has a spot right here. But we have a sacrifice-ready, temple-worthy lamb right over here for the nominal fee. of. So they were gouging people. They were robbing people. And Jesus steps into this. And he's not okay with it. And so that sets the back scene of what's going on. That's, that sets what's going on here. And Jesus wasn't okay with sin in the temple. Which is ironic because they were making sacrifices for sin. How often do we do that in our walk with God? We're real good at saying, oh yeah, I'm good. And then we point out other people's sin. <laughs> like you need to make a sacrifice while we're sitting there robbing people. We actually don't, hopefully you don't rob people. But that's what's going on. So I want to talk to you about four attributes of a cleansing encounter this morning. Four attributes of a cleansing encounter. Because here's the deal. We all need a cleansing encounter with God 
at different points of our life. If you think you could say a prayer at an altar and be okay the rest of your life, then you don't understand sanctification. Sanctification isn't the fact that the Holy Spirit's making you uh, sinless. It's the fact that he makes you sin less and less over time. And what does that mean? That means you let the Holy Spirit work on you and convict you and cleanse you of junk in your life so you can become more like Jesus over the course of your life until you're glorified with him at your death or when he returns. So we need to have cleansing encounters regularly with God. We need to give him full permission to walk into the temple that we are and cleanse us out. The first attribute of a cleansing encounter. Cleansing encounters are not always pleasant, but they are always necessary. When God starts cleansing you of stuff in your life, of junk in your life, of sin in your life, it will not be pleasant. It will not be, oh, this is so lovely. I'm just so glad God told me to lay down football at his feet. Oh, a Super Bowl Sunday. Did I say that out loud? Man, I'm, I'm just calling it what it is. Sometimes it becomes idolatry. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it can be. I'm so happy that God's telling me to, to you know, unsubscribe to Netflix because there's too much junk on there. I'm so glad that God's telling me to fast social media because I crave what other people think about me more than what he thinks about me. Cleansing encounters are not always pleasant, but they are always, always, always necessary. We need to be like Jesus, and the only way we can be like Jesus is by Jesus getting into our life and saying, come on, Ryan, you know you shouldn't be struggling with this. Let me help you put that to death. Come on, Ryan, you know that you need to treat your wife better. You know that you need to be a dad. You know you need to lay down your phone. Come on, Ryan. Jesus loves you enough to turn tables, throw it up there. Jesus loves you enough to turn tables upside down in your life, to drive, to clear, to cleanse you of sin and injustice that you find yourself in. Jesus loves you enough to not to leave you the way you are. He loves you enough to die for the sin that you find yourself in. Why would we be okay with just living in it when God stepped into humanity to die for it? I'm going to read a section of scripture found in Jude. It's not, it's not on a slide. Jude's a great book of the Bible. I, I, uh, I highly encourage you. It's a really long read, all 25 verses of it. But um, I would encourage you to read it because it's Jesus' half-brother. And it's an, he has some really profound things to say. And, and we see there's five musts that he talks about. And we see them alive and active in Jesus when he's clearing the temple. So... I'm going to read it real quick. But you, dear friends, remember that what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose is to satisfy their ungodly desires. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> These people are those who are creating divisions among you. Does that sound familiar? They follow all their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you... Dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins 
that contaminate their lives. I skipped a verse. It says, rescue them from snatching them from the flames of judgment. Then it says, go on and show mercy and hate sin. So there's five musts that Jude talks about. I'm going to speed through these real quick. They're on your outline. They're already filled in so you guys can look at them. And I want you to, I want you to look at them because there's five musts that, that we must have in our life. Um, we must build each other up. We must build each other up. In a culture that is so highly offended over everything, we, not, we need to understand that not every time we build each other up, it's going to be a pat on the back and a good job. We think that building each other up is, you know what, good job, buddy. I just, I'm so proud of you. Just your effort is good enough. I'm not saying that we shouldn't compliment each other. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, I, I, here comes another basketball reference from Pastor Ryan. Well, he has one every message. Yes, I do. So you're welcome. But when I, got, when I played basketball, I ran a lot, and, and I was one of the slower people on my team. My team built me up by saying, Ryan, come on. You're so slow. You're going to make us all run again. Man, I hate you. Come on. That was building up to a basketball player because you know what? It encouraged me to go faster, to help my team out. In fact, my, my team captain would come along. The very thing I used to do in high school, in college, my team captain would come along, grab my jersey and pull me because he knew that I could not run any faster. But if he just grabbed me, I might make the time. He built me up. Even though it was humiliating, sometimes it wasn't always easy to hear, but they didn't say, you know what, Ryan, you gave it your best effort. I'm, I'm okay with running these suicides all over again because you didn't make the time. <laughs> they didn't say that. Like When we build each other up, we don't need to backbite or talk bad about each other, but we got to understand that sometimes when we build each other up, it's not always easy to hear. Jesus cared enough for these people to drive them away from the sin that was contaminating their life, and he did so with a whip. we got to build each other up. We must pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. we got to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the living God living inside of us. The Bible said the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Why aren't we operating in the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave us? We are are weak, useless Christians, and we wonder why there's no signs and wonders in the church today, but we're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. It's not you or me. I'm not anything special. You're not anything special. But when we have God in us, that's something special. And that's what's going to change the world. If we're not praying and operating the power of the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? Jesus was 100% obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit. Every miracle that he did while he was on earth was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he turns around and he has the nerve to tell his followers, greater things you will do than me. What? We can't do it on our own. It's by the Spirit of God. If we're not praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are missing out on what God can do in you and through you. (sighs) I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. I'm out of breath. If I'm going to get out of breath, I might as well do it while I'm preaching. We must show mercy. We must show mercy. We must show mercy. Mercy is not giving something, or mercy is not giving someone something they deserve. We all know people that deserve to be treated like junk. We all know people that deserve something, but God showed us mercy. For instance, we all deserve the cross that Jesus bore, but he gave it to Jesus. He showed us mercy, but then he turns around and shows us grace because none of us, not one of us deserve the love of God, yet he gives it freely. So grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. 
the Bible says in Jude that we must show mercy. We gotta show mercy. Man, the church is the worst about attacking their crippled, about attacking their hurting. Man, in war, and, and, and when I played basketball, if you got hurt, your teammates came around you, carried you off the court, but we, man, we backfired. We gotta show mercy, build each other up. Jesus drove people out of the temple. That was an act of mercy because he wasn't okay with sin in their lives. And the last two, must. We must snatch from flames and we must. We must hate sin. Man, this is hard. But we live in a culture, I'm not going to be political, but we live in a culture that kills 40 million babies a year. And if the church doesn't say this is wrong, then who will? If the church doesn't do it, then who will? We got to show love. The Bible says speak truth in love. Everything we do is motivated by love, but we can still speak truth. We cannot snatch from flames. We cannot snatch from flames if we don't hate sin. If they don't know what they're doing is wrong, then why would they repent? We got to understand, we got to show mercy. If you're here today, and I, 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 I need to address this, if you're here today and you know someone who's had an abortion or you thought about it or anything, God loves you, God cares for you, and he wants to restore you and he wants to move in you. I don't want, I don't want to, to neglect. There is grace for you. There is grace for you. You can't out God's grace. You cannot run God's grace. You can't, whatever you do, you can't go past God's grace because God loves you so much. God loves you. But at the same time, we got to make a stand. Even if it means being offensive. The message of Jesus Christ is offensive. The gospel is offensive. It says that we are sinners from birth and that without him we will go to hell. No one wants to hear it, but we got to speak the truth. Even if it's hard, it's better to speak the truth and let them know than go to the grave silent. You might be here and you say, Pastor Ryan, who does God think he is? What right does he have to cleanse my temple? The same question the Pharisees asked Jesus, who gives you the right? If you're wondering who Jesus is, let me, let me give you some qualifying. He, he proved it when he rose from the dead. But I, I just want to just tell you who Jesus is if you're wondering what right he has to cleanse you. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the creator of all things. And in him and only through him all things live and move and have their being. He is a spotless Lamb of God. He is a Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Seed of David, yet he is the Root of David. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and none get to the Father but through him. He is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God. So if you have a problem with God cleansing your temple, take it up with him. But remember, when you disagree with God, who's wrong? It's not him. God has a right to cleanse you, and he doesn't cleanse you because he hates you. He cleanses you because he loves you. He cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple because he loved God. He, he had a fervency for God, but he also loved the people in the temple enough to say, I'm not okay with you guys operating and committing sin in the presence of God. I want to get you away from sin, whatever it takes. He loved the people there. Sometimes we can look at this and like, man, Jesus was a real jerk. He forged a whip and beat these people. No, he loved them. 
Jesus never once sinned in his life. And when he did this, he was angry. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Jesus didn't sin while he was doing this. He was righteously indignant and he was fervent that sin is not okay. It's not okay in the temple. It's not okay then. It's not okay now. And he wants it out of us so we can we'll move to the next point. A cleansing encounter uh, allows us to operate in our purpose. The purpose of the temple of God in Christ's time. The purpose was for God to dwell among men and men to worship God. There was this there was this connection point with the temple. So when people came to worship God at the temple through sacrifice year after year, there was this connection that God would forgive their sins. It was worship. And I imagine after getting um, robbed, when, when you come to make sacrifice, people were probably walking out of the temple, I came here to obey God and I can't believe they, they charged me that much for a stupid dove. You know, they're walking out frustrated and everything like that, but they're trying to obey God. Jesus doesn't want us to walk out of a relationship with him frustrated. He doesn't want us to walk out of an encounter with him mad. He wants us to walk out of an encounter with him changed. And that was the point of the temple, that God, that God would encounter people, that he would be praised and worshiped. Now, in the, in the Old Testament temple, there was a holy place and there was a most holy place. And the holy of holies, the most holy place, is where the presence of God dwelt among men in the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest went there once a year to make a sacrifice for the, for the sins of the nation. But the, the thing is, we can't operate in our purpose, and the temple cannot operate in its full function if there's sin in it. Jesus wants to clear sin out of you so he can work in you. Jesus wants to do a work in you so he can work through you. We got to be willing to let Jesus do a work in us. If you're taking notes, just write that down. God wants to do a work in me so he could do a work through me. God wants to open you up and do surgery. And we got to be okay with him doing that because he wants to operate through us. He wants us to operate in our purpose. Our purpose is to praise God. So when Jesus was on earth, physically, there was one place called the temple. But when Jesus died, and he fulfilled all the law of Moses, all the old covenant, he rendered it null and void. It's done and over. He gave us a new covenant. We're not held to that standard anymore. We're held to the standard through his blood. We're made righteous by him. He died for all sins, past, present, and future. He died once for all. When he did that, the Bible says that the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place tore from top to bottom. That means God's presence was no longer there. Here's the cool thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, don't you realize that your, temp- your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is amazing. The very presence that raised Jesus from the dead, we alluded to it earlier. But the presence that was in the most holy place, that was unapproachable, but once a year by a high priest, lives in us. And the only way it can live in us, the Holy Spirit, the only way he can live in us is if we place our faith in Jesus. What happens when we place our faith in Jesus? I'm just going to tell you, when you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. Man, that's it. When that happens, suddenly something happens. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. He gives us new life, and then he covers us in the righteousness 
of God. Because we can't go before God in our own right. We can't go before God in our own righteousness. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ comes into our life and covers all our sin. So when Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And that means we have authority and power through the power that is within us called the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing. God has a purpose for all of us. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are God's handiwork or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he predestined for us to do. But if we want to operate in the purpose that he has for us, we got to be willing to let him cleanse the sin out of us. Because sin gets in the way. Sin always points back to self. When we have sin in our life, our, our prayer life changes. It's suddenly, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I can't believe I did that. Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our needs or ask for forgiveness of sin, but suddenly all of our prayers shift from, God, I pray right now that you will just open hearts at the church. God, I pray right now that, Lord, when I go into work tomorrow, that you will just open doors for me to share your faith. God, I, you know, like our prayer life changes. When there's sin in our life, suddenly we only, we're only concerned about ourselves. But God wants us to be kingdom-minded. God wants us to think about the things that he has us think about. And it means get our thoughts off ourselves. Here's the deal. If you ask God to forgive you, you're forgiven. You don't have to remind him to forgive you a billion times. Get over it and move on. Let the Holy Spirit put it to death in your life. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Man, if you have habitual sin in your life, you need to start walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Start listening to the Holy Spirit in your life. He will not lead you to temptation. He will deliver you from it. The next point, cleansing encounters. Open the doors for God to do the miraculous. Both times Jesus cleansed the temple. Both times. There are miracles that followed. There were miracles that followed. We didn't read it in John, but if you keep reading in John chapter 2, miracles followed. God wants to do miraculous signs through your life, in you. He wants to do that. Jesus says in Mark 16, I'm just going to read it real quick. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes and safety. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying that can happen. They will drink anything poisonous. It will not hurt them. not recommending that one either. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus says, Preach the gospel and these signs will accompany. You notice the order. You want to see signs accompanying you and, you're, and you want to see God do miraculous things? Preach the gospel, man. Tell people about Jesus. It's a natural overflow when we operate in the power of God and we say, God, you know what? I'm going to speak what you have me to speak. I'm going to say what you have me to say. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And the natural overflow of that is these signs. But the, Jesus goes on to say these signs will accompany. It's not They might accompany. Um, they might possibly show up every now and then man if you pray 40 hours this week you will might see an answered prayer no they will follow they will accompany they are the wake of the church those who believe if you're not seeing if we're not seeing miraculous signs in our lives what are we believing in are we believing the Word of God? Are we believing the infallible truth of Scripture? Are we operating in God, God, that has for us? Because God wants to do something amazing in us. 
God wants to use you. It's not for Pastor Chris or myself or Pastor Andy or someone you deem super spiritual. We're all on the same playing field. God wants to use us all equally to see his kingdom built, to see his kingdom flourish, to see people come to know him. But it starts with being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It starts with saying, God, I I need you to work through me. I need you to work on me so you can work through me. The last thing, cleansing encounters, makes God's word come alive in our hearts. Makes God's word come alive in our hearts. Both times in scripture, John 2 and Matthew 21, the scripture came alive to those who are around Jesus after he cleansed the temple. I want to address this real quick because some of us here today, our daily devotion looks like getting up, grabbing our phone, going to sitting in the bathroom and reading the, 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 the scripture of the day. <laughs> oh man, I just called you out. He just made a bathroom joke in his closing remarks. I can't believe this. It's all right. Pastor's emails out there. You can email him about it. Um, But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some of us get up and we say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes in God's word. I'm going to check it off a list. I'm going to get it done. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. And, and just, just bear with me. And you're going to anyway, so it's all right. Uh, Super Bowl's later. Um, I've heard too many people say, man, I haven't been in my word today, and I haven't, man, I just really haven't been in the word all this week, and my week's just been awful. How bad of a father do you think God is that he's like, you know what, they haven't read the Bible today, so I'm going to make their week a living hell. God is not like that. If my daughter does not give me a hug for a week straight, guess what? I still love her the same because she's my daughter. And if I'm like that, and I am an earthly parent, how much more does our father love us? we Go after God's word. We go into God's word because we love him. We got to be motivated to discover who God is because we want to know Jesus Christ. We want to experience him. I'm not dogging. If you're a 30 minute a day, keep doing it, but do it for the right reason. Don't do it to check it off a list. Do it to know Jesus. Man, if you're a scripture a day, man, I would encourage you to go a little more than that. Be above average. But here's the deal. We need to go after God because we love him. Because he loves us so much. Because he loves us so much. Some of us, our devotion life is just that. It's a book. A devotional. I'm not dogging on devotionals, but why would you want to get someone's second-hand opinion of God's word? This is a second-hand opinion. If this is the only word you hear today, I would encourage you to crack open your Bible. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We've addressed that several times. The Holy Spirit lives, one of his jobs is to eliminate scripture, to lead us to truth. God wants you to crack open the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do his work in you so it can come alive in you. God's word comes alive when we let him clear sin out of our life. When we let him clear junk. Not everything that he wants to clear out of our life, let me, let me stress this. Not everything is sin. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. We, have made, we, we are too easy, have made idols in our life out of very good things. We've too easily prioritized things that have no weight in eternity, and we worship them. We don't even realize it. God might be saying, let's clear some of that out so you worship me and me alone.